Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. And for the first time in June and the first time in about a month, we've got a Penn State commitment to review here on this episode. And it is one that is a long-distance verbal pact put together by Penn State and Mega Barnwell, a player who received an offer during his freshman season, now committing shortly after his freshman year, going to be a sophomore in the fall, uh, will not be able to sign with the program until December of 2022. So again, long-term thinking here. Sean, we, we don't yet have ratings, rankings for 24-7 sports when it comes to the class of 2023. Uh, if my memory serves correct and how the timeline has worked, there should be one probably right before uh, the 2020 season. But we'll find out a lot about that. But look at the offer list. Look at the physical measurements. Look at Penn State's willingness to accept the commitment at this stage. And it tells you a lot about how Penn State coaches and Power 5 coaches view Mega Barnwell at this stage of his career. In terms of taking people right now, usually you see these guys uh, in future classes like this at skill positions, receiver, D-back. You have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be or where they're going to be. Um, you know, not really the case with Mega Barnwell, 6'5", 238, 240-ish, um, and, and that seems to be going down. Um, and that, that's one of the real positives that I take from this is he visited back in uh, October for the whiteout, and he's 6'5", you know, legit 6'5", for a freshman in high school, which is ridiculous in itself, um, but he was 250 pounds. So you're thinking, okay, is he uh, is he an offensive tackle first and foremost? Because that's, that's a big body right there. Um, can he stick at tight end? Yeah, maybe. Uh, is he a defensive tackle? I think that's where a lot of people looked at him early on. But he started to cut some of this weight. come back around. He's got that baby face. He's 15 years old. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's not like a double red shirt or whatever that pops up and is all of a sudden going to be 20 years old when he's a freshman in college. He's, you know, he's getting to, uh, you know, he's, he's getting through the normal stages of growth. He just had an accelerated start. So um, Penn State thinks he can be a tight end. And, and, you know, this is, this is so far in advance, which, you know, he's, he, you know, he may end up being six foot eight and all of a sudden, uh, you know, just 300 pounds and nothing you can do about it. Nature usually wins these battles almost always. So, um, you know, I, I think he can be a tight end. He showed some legit skill as a freshman. Um, and you, when you pair that with his body size and the way that he moves, it's, uh, you know, it's certainly intriguing where he's ranked. I mean, he's got the advantage of coming in with a ready-made, you know, frame and body. And, and that's something that's big in early rankings. I, I don't know that, you know, he's going to stick. I, I think he's a top 100 type kid. Um, is he going to stick there? It's going to depend on how he grows, how he moves, how he, you know, handles um, all the, I guess, uh, physical, mental, all that, all that sort of growth that comes with three more years of, co- of, of high school. So, um, I think he's a top 100 kid to start, whether he ends up there, uh, you know, is anybody's guess, but, uh, he's a guy that you got to take right now if he wants to come. So, uh, I think that's really what it comes back to when you're Penn state. Do you want to take a kid this early? Probably not. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Penn state is, as you have, uh, research has been burned in the past by early commitments. Most recently in, in 2020, excuse me, in 2021, uh, with Dante Thornton and Nick Elksness, the first two commits in the class are obviously no, no longer in the class and, and not going to end up here for the most part. So I think it's uh, a very interesting case study, but he seems, and I talked to Brian Doan about this from 24 seven sports national analyst yesterday, um, before the commitment, he says, you know, he's got a lot of the things that you look for in somebody that's going to stick. He's got that relationship with Franklin. He's got, uh, you know, a relationship with some assistants, but for the most part, uh, you know, you're looking at guys that you know are going to be here in a couple of years, and and he thinks Franklin's that guy. So um, you've got a bunch of things that go with it, and I could see this one sticking. I mean, you can't obviously put in the crystal ball, or well, we did put in a crystal ball, but you can't put in the, uh, you know, look into the future and see whether he's here in three years. But I mean, you got to take him right now. 
You can't do that with really anybody in college football, whether it's a commit, a coach, uh, a player on a current roster. There's so much uh, movement uh, across the nation and everything. And the year before, you mentioned Dante Thornton, a player who certainly doesn't look like he's going to end up at Penn State based on his top list. Grant Tutant back in 2020, uh, the early commitment for Penn State ends up elsewhere in the Big Ten with Ohio State. Um, so yeah, th- then those you did not have to carry those commitments uh, even close to the distance. You're going to have to do with this. Um, he got an offer about a week after coming to the whiteout game last year, saw Penn State beat Michigan. Uh, very clearly, it's the spectacle that, that a lot of prospects try to get on campus for. Uh, got back to campus again this winter. And, uh, you know, it's it's the level of comfort that he must have felt to be able to pull off this decision, uh, put together a commitment video at this stage of his career. Certainly says a lot about the impact Penn State made early. Uh, again, I think the challenge here for Franklin and for the Penn State staff as they march ahead toward December of 2022 uh, will be, you know, how do you handle the visits with a player like this? We've always seen the policy that's been in place, um, you know, last summer. It kind of kind of was a very big deal as we saw the class go through some changes and players leaving because they wanted to make official visits to other programs and explore their horizons a bit. You know, Barnwell has a long way to go, and, and college coaches are not going to uh, stop knocking on his door. In fact, he's got a while ago before they can really open up the NCAA rules and get to the point where they can communicate with him on a more consistent basis directly. Um, he's still, you know, a year plus off from entering that new uh, communication phase of his recruitment. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, how Franklin juggles everything. A, a kid who will have that national draw, he'll have teams coast to coast um all every power five conference trying to get him in town for for big games and 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 big recruiting events and as long as he's wearing that penn state commitment label you know that 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 could create some some tough decisions for him and his family and uh, i just know for sure a player like this with the athletic pedigree and with this long to go other programs are going to see he's committed to penn state they're going to be aware of that and they're going to be nuanced about their approach but they are not going to stop approaching him four commitments now in the 2023 class nationwide which is uh these guys are just Total. yeah finishing yeah. up their freshman year uh the interesting thing about that uh there's already one been one decommitment in the uh 2023 class tony mitchell from alabama committed to tennessee last summer and opened it up in march uh georgia miami and florida the other schools that have 2023 commitments so you know penn state in the top five of the early 2023 uh recruiting rankings so far so you know thumbs up there um but yeah that's uh i mean we're talking about a 2023 kid uh, it's crazy to think about it. I mean, I, I'm happy for him. I, I mean, I'm not one of those people that are going to say you could not care less about this because, it, you know, it does mean something. You get a guy in your class that is, vi- you know, visual on Twitter. He's, he, you know, very, or excuse me, visible on Twitter. A guy that, uh, you know, you can have an ambassador for future classes, say, hey, I trust in this. Hey, I'm going to be a big time recruit. Come join me, all that kind of stuff. So you got you got a little bit of juice behind it. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a long way out, but uh, at the same time, he seems comfortable with that decision. Uh, nice little offer. I mean, it's, it's not like Penn State was his only offer either. So Virginia Tech and Tennessee, other finalists, uh, had some other offers as well. But I go back to, he's 6'5", 240. That's, that's a fairly safe one if you're going to miss on it, you know, and who's to say what he looks like in, in three years. If you're going to miss, he's got that size that they sort of make up for it. So you can, you know, try him at a few different positions. And like I said, the athleticism shows up on tape as a freshman, which, you know, is, is a pleasant surprise. Turned 15 in April, so you'd imagine that unless his ceiling has been capped early from a physical standpoint, like you said earlier, you don't know where it's going to go. You, it's kind of fill in the blanks. Whether it's six foot seven, see, you know, I, this is a kid who could be an absolute terror at tight end if he stays there. And as we said before, you think about where you could project as an offensive tackle. That's a very exciting possibility. You even mentioned defensive line. Uh, maybe down the line but uh, you know I think it, the one point that you made it's something that Brian Doan noted in his scouting report is that that weight number is going down I think that's what you like to see if the kid really is uh, you know th- this locked in on pursuing tight end at the college level he told me in January that's his dream spot in the football field long term you know that's important to, to not end up you know 300 pounds as a as a high school junior 
if tight end goes out the window pretty quickly, I think he is going down, you know, maybe about a dozen pounds or so um, over the course of the past seven, eight months of his high school career. So it shows you that he's aware of what it's going to take physically for for him to stick around there. Um, and it, it'll be a fun one to watch. Penn State's at about 50 total offers to high school freshmen going into sophomore year now, I guess. Uh, the vast majority have now finished their freshman year of high school. Um, a few, maybe, depending on where they are in states, still finishing up some classes. But, Sean, I, I think when you look at this group, it, it's so hard to project. We've talked about a lot of the Pennsylvania activity, eight Pennsylvania prospects um, who are going to be sophomores this fall in high school have offers. That already surpasses the last couple of cycles for the entire state of Pennsylvania with guys who had, you know, three, four seasons on their resume for Penn State to review. We're talking about one season here. We're talking about Penn State doing their diligence, but also just, you know, maybe being, uh, I mean, this is a conversation we've had before, certainly being a little bit quicker to make moves in order not to fall behind and have to play catch up as the process continues could lead to some muddy waters down the road when kids don't progress and maybe don't live up to the early billing that they have in high school. And when they're 17, they're not as attractive as, as prospects. But that's something that you you know you come to that bridge when you get there. Right now, I think they're trying to get involved with a lot of guys. And uh, you know, another another notable offer in that 2023 class was the Nittany Lions legacy quarterback uh, Dylan Lonergan uh, down in Georgia, uh, the son of a former Penn State quarterback. Um, so just another name to know there. But uh, 50 plus offers at this stage. It's a significant offer, and and one commitment is an even bigger number at this stage. I I think you hit it on the head there. You're trying to be more visible. You're trying to get out there, and will all these 2023 kids be on your target board in, in, I mean, even a year from now? It's not necessarily going to be the case. So um, I think that's a really interesting dynamic when you take a look at that. But I I take a look at a guy like in the 2021 class, you've got uh, Donovan McMillan. Um, at Peters Township, just cut Penn State from his list uh, earlier this month or last month or whenever it was. Um, but y- you look at his recruitment, and he started to just get offers, I think, in November, and then all of a sudden started blowing up, and he's at 20-some offers before Penn State comes on board. And, you know, Penn State offered, I think, mid-January or February or early February, somewhere in there. Not, not late by any stretch of the imagination, but you've got that perceived slight, especially in state for your, your local schools. And, and Penn State, the way that they tried to operate was, you know, to get their evaluation complete, to talk to as many people as they can. Obviously, with, uh, with the pandemic and everything, that's kind of been flipped on its head. But at the same time, you've got local kids, you know, perceiving a slight, even though that's probably not even the case or not necessarily the case of what's going on. You've got local kids perceiving that they've been slighted, that everybody else has offered before them. And it's, and it's funny because it it just doesn't work like that. You look at, even look in Florida where it's just the wild, wild West and crazy things have happened, especially with the early commitments. And I think that's another good thing about the mega Barnwell commitment is he's not from Florida. He's four and a half hours away in Spotsylvania, Virginia, but uh, it's, it's a really funny dynamic when you talk about, you know, local schools wanting to take their time, wanting to, you know, do what they, to, wanting to be sure on in-state kids. And that's not necessarily the case. I've said it a bunch of times that Penn State, when they put it, when they put out an offer in-state, that offer is traditionally good. I mean, great. Like you can act on that anytime. I don't necessarily think that's the case anymore. And I don't think it's a, you know, a shift in, um, you know, their approach in the state, but it's also, you know, just trying to keep up with the rest of the recruiting game. And that's really um, sort of taken a turn over the last couple of years. So it's been really interesting to follow how they've adjusted during this pandemic. I I think it's the right call. I mean, you would rather be in a spot where um, take uh, Shafiq Smith at Imitep, cornerback, Offered him, I think, as a rising sophomore, as a sophomore, um, you know, he's he's 5'9". He's, you know, he has kind of fallen off the recruiting radar for those high major teams like Penn State. But you'd rather give him an offer, you know, sit on that. And then eventually somebody's going to tweet out that, you know, uh, Temple picked or, you know, if he commits to Temple, Temple or beat Penn State or beat whoever for them. But that's just sort of the game right now. It's, it's very uh, uh, chose over season is in full effect right now because these schools have 300 offers out. They're not even recruiting some of these kids. And then they commit somewhere. And all of a sudden this school, this kid picked this uh, this guy over, you know, Penn State, Clemson, Ohio, you know, maybe not Clemson or Ohio State, but uh, some of these other big schools. And it's, you know, it's 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 a notch on the resume. So that's that's been a funny dynamic throughout this pandemic pandemic. But you got to put these early offers out now, because if you don't, uh, that perceived slight is what's going to end you uh, just end up end up off of their list in the long run. 
And just to give you some perspective on where these prospects are in terms of the grand scheme timeline for Penn State and, and how maybe their view of the program is a little bit different than the kids signing today or the kids who signed the last couple of years. Uh, you know, in terms of what they remember about Penn State, you do wonder. Six years old when the program moved on from Joe Paterno, 11 years old when the program won a Big Ten championship in 2016. You know, they're, they're growing up with a different just, Penn State. Just stop. <laughs> just stop right there. That's uh, Want me to keep going? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are the kids you know, making decisions on college scholarship offers now. So uh, we did not expect uh, a 2023 offer at this point. We also, Sean, did not expect to be talking on the second Tuesday of June about Penn State looking like they're shut out. 0 for 3 on the Maryland wide receiver recruiting efforts. We talked about those big three for a while. Uh, Jaleel Farouk has yet to announce a decision. Uh, certainly the trend seems to be away from Happy Valley, uh, looking like Oklahoma there. And, and you look at uh, Dante Thornton leaving Penn State surprisingly off of his top list a couple weeks ago. And then another domino falls just a couple of days ago as Caden Prather, a guy that we've talked about quite a bit on the show, Penn State seemingly be, being among the forefront programs in his recruitment, ends up issuing a commitment to West Virginia Big part of the process, he noted here during a conversation with Brian Doan, Jared Parker, who was wide receivers coach for Penn State for one year before heading to West Virginia as a co-offensive coordinator, also coaching up the wide receivers there. He was a big part of that draw. And all of a sudden, a common theme here, episode by episode, Sean, the situation grows increasingly less certain at wide receiver as the, the names that we got attached to earlier in the process heading into 2020 uh, suddenly off the board and, and not looking toward Happy Valley. The 2021 class is playing the hits, man. They just keep coming uh, just uh, over and over again. Just Penn State just gut punched during this pandemic. Caden Prey, they're a bad miss. And that's, uh, you know, you, you can rationalize some of this other stuff. And there are, you know, obviously legitimate reasons why, you know, things have changed in his recruitment, but that's a bad miss right there. Taylor Stubblefield, um, you know, walked into a situation where Penn State was in really, really good standing with with three very good receivers in your region. And now to go over three, that's that's a bad miss. So, um, you know, it's going to take a, you know, a, a different effort from him. I mean, Prather obviously not tied at the hip to Jared Parker, but that's really what he, you know, fell back on was his relationship with Parker. And, you know, Parker, as we said, was a pretty good recruiter, a guy that could, uh, you know, really make uh, these guys feel, I mean, you just thought back in December, think about that, all three guys on campus, December 8th. Um, Penn State, I think you could make an argument, uh, led for at least two of the three of them at that point. Dante Thornton probably still looking at Oregon at, at that point, but obviously they led for him at one point because he was in the class. Um, but, uh, I mean, just to, to, to make that jump, uh, Prather was the safe one. I mean, Prather was the one that we just kind of penciled into the class and, and, and didn't think really twice about it. I mean, even talking to people down in Maryland, it was, you know, Penn State or Maryland and, and West Virginia was there because of Parker and he visited, um, I believe March 8th, uh, right before the shutdown happened. But, um, uh, West Virginia was, was viewed as a dark horse here. So for them to go on and, and sort of flip that, flip that script and go around, I mean, that's a big hit for Penn State. It's a big hit in a, in a special area, the DMV. We got a, a mailbag question sort of tying into this. So we're not going to, you know, out right answer that but you know Penn State hurting right now at receiver the DMV of course they've got Landon Tangwall um, and Christian Valu is kind of in, involved in that because he, he does play at Bullis but that's a that's a tough one to swallow on both fronts and and, and that's got to be better I mean you talk about where Penn State lacks on the roster right now um, you know Taylor Stubblefield did not come in with the reputation that he was a recruiter he is the technical guy he is the guy that you're looking to elevate the guys on the current roster but at the same time as, as a wide receiver coach I mean, you gotta you gotta knock down those uh, those I don't want to call them gimmies, but you want to knock down those those ones that you have set up for you when you arrive on the job. Now you got Liam Clifford, you've got Lonnie White, two pretty good prospects there, but uh, you know you're talking about a, a position that really needs to be elevated on the roster, and 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 that's once again it's it's a bad miss. It's tell you what the wide receiver spot is so tricky to figure out because this roster. Uh, and you, we focus in on a bunch of positions where you compare the, the health of the roster, even in 2016 when this team went on a conference championship run, to where it is on a two-deep, three-deep level at certain positions now. And it's just such a stark contrast in the advancement they've made. 
wide receiver is a spot where that has not been the case. And and I think clearly you can point to the fact that this is wide receiver coach number four in a four-year span. That doesn't help. doesn't help that you've got two of those former guys now coaching uh, or recruiting against you and, and Josh Gaddis at Michigan and now Jared Parker at West Virginia who, who butts heads with Penn State in this situation uh, and and it certainly doesn't help that Taylor Stubblefields uh, arrives you know in, in a spot where I, he just doesn't he just didn't seem to get a chance to get a lot of face-to-face with a lot of kids on campus and and um, you know I, I don't know how it all plays out in the end we don't know a lot about Taylor Stubblefield, his personality right now. He he seems uh, certainly more soft-spoken than Jared Parker, but you know I don't know how he's interacting with recruits, and I don't know how he's interacting with families, and, and that's something we'll learn as things go on. But I, I think it's very easy, and I've pointed this to this before, for an opposing coach to very subtly throw plenty as much shade as as may be necessary towards Penn State when it comes to wide receiver recruiting. And I, I think it's happening. I think it happened in the last cycle. I think it's going to keep happening until they turn things around in that stat sheet because it's very easy to pull up the the raw stats and, and, and what Penn State has done since Joe Moore had left and not see much out of that wide receiver spot. KJ Hamler had 56 catches last year. That's the one guy who's gone over 50 catches in either of the last two seasons. Moorhead's last year here, five guys caught 50 passes or more on Penn State's roster. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you want to say, hey, you're, you're a wide receiver. You want to get involved. There's a lot of freshman wide receivers that have been actively engaged in their offensive attacks. And I'm talking about uh, teams that are going and competing in the college football playoff where guys are getting to campus. They're catching 40-plus balls. They're, they're a part of that attack. Uh, has has been an issue for Penn State of late, not just having wide receiver production at a high level, but having guys make that immediate impact. KJ didn't wasn't able to do that because of an injury, but you know Jahan Dotson. I know a lot of people are high on him. He's going to be your your mainstay guy at the position. It looks like here in 2020, he's going to have to be. But even you you look at his freshman stats. He he worked his way into the starting rotation by the end of it. But it's not like he came in lit the world on for, on fire. If, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he scored a touchdown. As a freshman so maybe Keandre Lambert can be that guy I don't know but it would be a big boost in the arm for Penn State to have to be able to point to some immediate production I think for a high school standout wide receiver crossing that bridge going to college and, and being a, a, a you know kind of a, a top two or three target within the offensive attack piling up some good numbers because right now they need good numbers to point to and they need to get it done I mean Kirk Shiraka can point to some great great production at Minnesota a couple 1200 yard receivers last year both double digit scoring touchdowns but as we've talked about in the past that's Minnesota tape that's not Penn State tape and we haven't seen any kind of Penn State offense on the field even on the practice field for for Kirk Shiraka to this point. And that question was from MXTI Pickle. Thanks for the uh, mailbag question. But uh, yeah, I, I think Lambert's that guy. I think you need two things right now. I think you need a, a freshman, you know, a new guy to step up, a new face to step up. And that can that can include Dunmore or Jones or somebody, you know, that's a redshirt freshman. You need a new guy to step up and, and be fresh on the scene. And then you also need one of those veterans, maybe a Daniel George, to take a big step forward. And I think that's really going to sort of solidify where you're standing with wide receiver recruiting. Um, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things where I think Stubble field needs some substance on the field to sell what he's doing as a teacher as a technician things like that you need a little bit of stability there of course but I think uh, you you can't get there until you see it on the field and that's unfortunate for him and and I don't want to put it all on stubble field there, the circumstances have dictated this obviously uh, you cannot you could not get those guys back on campus before the shutdown you didn't know the shutdown was coming and then all of a sudden you know you, you're going six months plus without uh, without having any offered receivers on campus so that's that's a tough pill to swallow, but at the same time, you want to build that relationship. You want to, you know, establish yourself as a guy that can get there. It's funny. I was sitting on uh, Twitter last night or TweetDeck or whatever, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Taylor Stubblefield liked this tweet. Taylor Stubblefield liked this tweet. Taylor Stubblefield liked this tweet. Did somebody light a fire there? Did somebody, you know, have a, a conversation with him about uh, being more active in recruitment? I thought that was uh, very interesting timing on that front. But beyond that, uh, stability has just been killer. I mean, you go back to after Gaddis left, you hired David Corley. That's a disaster. Um, you get Jared Parker in there, and things are going well. He, you know, he's recruiting well. Um, take a, you know, a, a steps forward on the field, which you know it wasn't the giant leap that you know everybody thought could happen with a new coach. But you saw progress on the field, and then all of a sudden you lose him, not to a lateral move, and that's the the, the saving grace in this. He went as an offensive coordinator. 
But all of a sudden, he takes that cash that he had with those 2021 prospects. You bring in a new guy, uh, you know, who does not have the same magnetism as a recruiter. And then all of a sudden, you're 0 for 3 on the Maryland Trio. And looking back, uh, I mean, if, looking back two months, I mean, that's really not anything that you could have foreseen coming. And that's uh, that's bad. And if you think about where where the the situation was with that 2018 class where you signed three blue chip receivers, you signed the number one guy in the country, didn't work out for Justin Shorter, but uh, you know on paper that was that was up there with just about any wide receiver class in the country. You know Daniel George, Jahan Dotson, Justin Shorter, they all had Penn State offers before their junior year uh, of, of high school. If I'm not mistaken, I know Shorter was committed before his junior year, and I believe George and Dotson had both picked up Penn State offers. By the time they got to the second half of their high school careers, throughout that entire course, from from when they got that offer to more, you know two years later when they put pen to paper, Josh Gaddis was the one. Uh, Josh Gaddis was the only wide receivers coach they were dealing with at Penn State. And you look at a player like Dante Thornton who lands on the radar. I I, I think when Gaddis was around, maybe, maybe we're talking early stages of Corley, who came in as the running backs coach and then was bumped over to receivers coach. But in, in Thornton's case, you know, he's on at least the third coach he would be dealing with on behalf of Penn State. And then you know, that certainly is a big difference. What's interesting is you look back to 2016 and 2017, just not good in terms of wide oh, receiver the recruiting. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you hit on Hamler. Uh, you miss on Dalen Darien. Uh, Matt Kippenhammer's already out of the program. Cam Sullivan Brown, a couple years in, is you know a second or third string guy. So there was a big hole in that receiver recruiting. You thought the 2018 class could come in and, and take it by the horn, and and Jahan Dotson's really the, the one that's done so so far. Uh, Daniel George, the, the jury's still out. Justin Shorter's out the door as well. So um, it's been an interesting couple of years. And and yeah, you think about coming off of. Uh, the 2016 season where you've got Chris Godwin, you've got Deshaun Hamilton, both guys are in the NFL. Um, you put guys out there that, you know, have been productive. I mean, the staff did not coach Allen Robinson, but right now you've got, you've got some momentum for the first time in a long time of wide receiver, of Penn State wide receivers in the NFL for them to uh, sort of fall flat on this is, is a tough one to swallow. And there's still, like we said, there's, there's still names out there and you know it's it's probably not something that will come up uh anytime soon in terms of movement on the receiver board um because you know these guys can't visit most of them are from out of the area Deion colsey put penn state in his uh top 10 i mean you don't see that happening isaiah brevard's kind of the same way um a couple of guys from out of the region you'll keith brown is a guy that i keep looking to he's a guy that we we highlighted in florida along with Jaden alexis in a, in a trimmings piece last week of course it's the podcast so we got a man Mentioned Andrew Anthony, uh, your boy. Um, Demetrius Cannon, Omari Hatcher is another um, a kid in Virginia who's intriguing to me in that I, I really liked his tape when I checked it out. And now all of a sudden, every time somebody comes off the board, somebody moves up the board. So um, you got a bunch of guys all over the place. Dominic Lavette uh, in, in Illinois t- told Alan True he's high on Penn State. But until really you can get those guys back on campus or, or at least set up officials or anything like that, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a dry summer, I think, for receiver recruiting. Dwayne Lofton was the new name last week that I mentioned on the show down in Texas. He's the new 2021 offer. And Aronde Gadsden, the second, another recent 2021 offer. And um, a lot of these guys, you go to their profile page on 24-7 Sports, you're not going to think this is the key to putting together a college football playoff roster because their rankings are are, are not going to wow you in that way. But that's where it is right now with the Penn State recruiting board. Uh, it's going to shuffle quite a bit at wide receiver as, as we continue to go forward. And, and the tricky part about all this is it feels like there's such a cluster of recent offers that, uh, you know, Taylor Stubblefield has had a chance to speak with these guys on the phone, but you're still flying blind in some ways. And, and, and you know, the film, film looks pretty good for a lot of these guys, but boy, it sure would be helpful to get several of them on camp together um, and that's just not what 2020 is all about in college football, uh, where you can kind of line these guys up on the same field, work out through drills with your coach and, and then walk away with a better understanding of who you want to prioritize just can't happen right now. And, and to that point, Sean, going back to your trimmings piece, uh, you had uh, some interesting notes in, in the new one this week on Monday about how Penn State is trying, you know, making an attempt to uh, amplify their 
the data gathering efforts and, and, and make it a little bit more prevalent, um, get guys on the same page. I'll, I'll let you take it from here, but it's something that I'm sure a lot of programs are, are messing with. Before I get into that, one more point on receiver recruiting, which was also covered in, in the trimmings piece yesterday, was you, now you're waiting for decommit season. You're basically aligning yourself for who's going to come back on the radar, whether that guy is one of those guys that we mentioned that's not committed or he's committed to another school. You basically that's your option right now is to wait for this decommit season to come through and it's not ideal but if there's any any cycle that you can feel a little bit more hopeful about it's this one because we think those decommitments are coming um but again not an ideal and hey, situation. by the way andrew wilson lamp a west virginia commit does does this i don't know if it messes with with something and goes full circle but he's a guy who before caden prather was on board with the mountaineers was already telling us he would like to use an official visit at penn state if possible does that kind of you know further push him along? I don't know how guys see uh, other commitments and and how that all plays out, but there's a lot of, a lot in play right now across college football because of all the numbers of commitments happening. Absolutely, and and Penn State just offered Oregon commit Kyron Ware Hudson as well, so uh, Thornton comes into play for that one. Um, but uh, yeah, West Virginia, by the way, humming on the trail right now, doing a really really good job. Um, with w- what they've done in that region. I think Neil Brown, I said it before, I think he's a heck of a coach. So interesting to see where that goes. Going back to what you set me up for a couple of minutes ago. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Penn State's uh, taking a different approach in terms of data gathering, data collection. This is something we've hammered hard on, especially early in the pandemic when you had guys that, you know, maybe like a Landon Watson, you're not sure how tall he is, or a, a Corey Kiner, you're not sure how fast he is. And you don't want to take that chance of giving up that scholarship, especially in a year where you're talking 19 guys in your class, probably maybe 20. Um, you don't want to give up that scholarship spot to a guy that you have incomplete data on. So what Penn State's going to do here, and they're going to release it today, um, is sort of set up for a virtual combine. And, and what that means is instructions on how to do the things that they would do when they get you on campus for camp, um, and you can record it. And, and it's not just recording it because you see guys that are out there working out. You see guys that are out there running 40s, um, you know, holding the, the thing up. I know I've timed a couple on my watch a couple times and it's not that accurate at all based, uh, based on what you're doing. So figuring out where to stand, figuring out which angles to film, figuring out what to do, figuring out what, uh, you know, measurements to take and taking pictures and taking video and being multimedia. So it may not sound like much, but it's sort of an innovative thing that I haven't seen so far and that, you know, you're going to sort of direct your own camp workout. You're going to sort of direct your your combine testing numbers and things like that. And that way you can get some sort of data. So it's going to be really interesting to see Penn State put this out. Um, are they typically on the forefront of uh, cutting edge things? Uh, but n- not really. But this is a kind of a different situation. And I- I'm interested to see. I talked with Barton Simmons a little bit about it yesterday. He said it's an interesting idea. We'll see how they pull it off. But that should be out sometime Tuesday. I think it's, it's really interesting. If you're a recruiting nerd like I am, it's really interesting to um, see how valuable this data is because coaches are just mining for this stuff, trying to get it done. And on the flip side, if you're a prospect, um, you know, say you're a 2021 prospect who needed this camp season or needed a chance to get in front. Maybe you had an injury at some point. Maybe you're a little bit raw. We talked about a guy like Robert Jackson down at Archbishop Wood, the defensive end. Maybe you're a little bit, uh, you know, raw and you need these guys to see your actual measurements and you you actually move on tape. This is an interesting uh, opportunity for them to uh, to pop up on somebody's radar. So gives these guys a chance. I think it'll be more effective with underclassmen 2022, 2023 in terms of getting that data out there because they're missing a camp season too. But I think it's a really interesting um, approach that Penn State's taking. I'm I'm curious to see what the final product looks like, but I think it can be valuable. And I think it's something that we start seeing teams try to put together uh, for their own sort of, uh, I guess, uh, arsenal of camp data that, that, that they're missing out on this summer. A bit reminiscent of what we saw KJ Hamler trying to do, and 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 prove, uh, providing proof of his forty yard dash and and all that leading up to the NFL uh, draft because he did not participate in the combine in that event and in a few events and there was no pro day and and you saw it with a lot of those uh, draft prospects and you just wonder like I did during the NFL draft process now uh, with the recruiting process all these coaches. Not often uh, are these, you know, coaches in Franklin's position, guys who are at a you know, big, I mean, even even lower down the totem pole at different programs across the FBS. Uh, they don't like giving away 
control. They, you know, they, they don't like uh, not having everything kind of set within their parameters in the valuation process and taking commitments and, and extending offers. And, and right now, they're having to cede some of that control to adapt and evolve to the situation. And I think some programs are going to be more resistant to do that. And some programs are going to buy into some new strategies, new philosophies. And, and we'll see where it takes them because th- there are some different paths forming in how to approach this 2021. And, and, and even now, the 2022 2023 class and how you evaluate and how you try to put piece your class together um so we'll certainly be be keeping tabs on that and trying to get some feedback from prospects as they're actually maybe participating in stuff like this yeah it's the nerd alert time so if you're if you're like us and you like to follow this stuff really closely it's an interesting thing if you're just you know uh you know hanging around for the commitments and stuff it's probably not going to interest you as much but that data has been so valuable to so many programs during the shutdown that uh you know it's it excuse me it's it's uh it's gold right now so it's uh it's a very interesting thing well, the shutdown has been the topic of conversation for about three months now, but slowly we are beginning to see college football reopen. We'll have new details on what that plan is beginning to look like for the NCAA heading toward 2020 kickoff, what it will entail for Penn State. And of course, we got our five-star mailbag, all that coming your way in a moment. First, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On Monday, Penn State players begin their return to Happy Valley, uh, the first of a a multi-phased approach for Penn State, the university bringing back student-athletes. Clearly, we're going to have to still uh, wait for word on what the approach is going to be for all students uh, at this university. But uh, there's a lot of movement going on right now across college football. We're seeing teams reassemble on their campuses. And uh, Brandon Marcello, who covers uh, the college football scene at the national level for 24-7 sports, uh, put together a story on Monday about the NCAA preparing to vote on a proposal, which is a six-week, four-phase plan to lead into the 2020 season. Penn State, like most teams, scheduled to begin its 2020 season Labor Day weekend, Saturday, September 5th, uh, with Kent State coming to town for that matchup. The following weekend, a big road trip, a big early test at Virginia Tech. Uh, but obviously, our concentration is on that that first game to see if it actually gets underway on time, how that's going to impact everything. And uh, Sean, we talked a lot last episode about kind of how things are going to play out here at Penn State, uh, players coming back, all the different protocols in place. Uh, right now, coaches and players are not mingling. That is still down the road here. Actually, a lot of coaches away from town right now this week. Uh, but we're starting to get some more clarity from the NCAA on the, the the plan of attack, and we'll see how how much they can kind of get everybody on kind of a singular path here. I think it's going to be tricky because you see different conferences, different campuses, different states, different politicians wanting to adopt different approaches. Um, but at, at some point, you're going to have to get teams from a health, safety, and competitive standpoint kind of streamlined here. And it sounds like this proposal is going to give a nudge in that direction. Streamlined is an interesting way to put it because there's there's really nothing streamlined about the process. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot. I mean, it's going to be you're talking about bringing guys in, doing small groups, and then certain you know slowly building up to bigger groups, and you know these groups being guys that live together. And it's just there's a lot that goes into it. Plus, you've got uh, COVID testing and all this kind of things, all these kind of different uh, aspects of it. And then all of a sudden you have a setback, and you know that's what happens. So it's uh, it's it's 
Streamlined is is an interesting way to put it. <laughs> I don't know that that's... That's uh, the hope. That's the hope. But, you know, we're seeing baby steps toward what they need to do to get back in the fall. And I think that's a great thing. You talk about, uh, you know, where these guys can start. And I'm glad in July they made the uh, they made the uh, distinction that mandatory workouts are back. Because these, you know, voluntary workouts, or these voluntary workouts, obviously, you know, not mandatory, don't have to be there. So I'm glad they made that distinction. But you can get back to it in July. It gives you a little bit of chance to recoup what you could have done in the spring. They bring a football into the process in July, which is funny to, to sound. I mean, you, you players and coaches will be allowed to use a football in drills starting as early as July 24th. So, you know, you can finally bring football back to football. So that's that's great. And then you can start practice. Penn State was set to start practice, I think, uh, uh, August 7th, somewhere around, around about that weekend, um, because they do have the extra week uh, with, with Labor Day being late this year. So, not going to change much from that aspect, but you know we're ramping things up to get back where they need to get. Nobody's expecting these guys to come back in shape, uh, in in the shape that they left campus. But gives yourself some time to to get accustomed to that, and it brings football back into the measure. I mean, it's not just Dwight Galt working out with these guys. It's it's you know the things that you talked about all through the shutdown. You can bring it back, put it in action, and you know hopefully recoup a, uh, recoup a little bit of that springtime that they missed. July 13th is when you're going to see those uh, non-voluntary workouts, essentially. Uh, uh, we'll see how it all plays out, Sean, with the voluntary workouts. But yeah, like you said, I don't see many uh, many holdouts from those situations across college football. Uh, in terms of, of actually getting the ball in your hand, that you know, July 24th, that's one to circle on your calendar. Uh, and that will be the first time eight months into his job. Uh, where Kirk Shiraka, you know, hypothetically the first time where he'll be able to see any of his quarterbacks with the football. I don't know what they're sending him video-wise during this uh, r- remote interaction, uh, but he'll actually get to observe his quarterbacks in action, throwing a football, working a little bit with the football. It's something that uh, I know he's been chopping at the bit to, to get to do. And then we're talking preseason practices beginning as early as August 7th. Uh, which, which gives you, you know, four weeks to prepare for kickoff. And right now, we, we said this is a, a really nice stretch of time, one that I didn't think that college football programs were going to have just a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, looking ahead. Right now, you're, you know, you're talking about the, the ramp that you were looking for to, to get on and, and, and move towards the football season in an appropriate fashion and in a, in, in a safe fashion. This is about as good as you could ask for if you're a program leader like James Franklin at this stage. And whatever obstacles they encounter, they're going to have to to engage with the Big Ten. They're going to have to engage with the university at large. And they're going to have to engage with the NCAA on how to move forward. Uh, But in terms of a path and a plan being laid out for you, this, again, as I said last week, seemingly exceeds the expectations that I personally had for college football programs heading into the summer. Yeah, and that's going to a lot of that's going to bounce back to the testing and that's something that they've talked about maybe uniform testing uh I guess protocol for for those across Power 5 and across college football. So that's something that still needs to be worked out if they're going to do that if they're not going to do that. Penn State's going to test its athletes frequently. They're not going to come out and say how many times or or when they're going to do it, but they're going to test their their football players frequently and obviously, you know, if something goes uh, you get a positive test then that's going to have a ripple effect on the guys that he's been working out with. And that's going to have a, a ripple effect on the rest of the team. So once they get back into a system and and the key here is keeping those guys away from anything that could expose them to the virus and then you'll go from there. But yeah, we continue to get back to um, sort of normalcy. Um, it's not going to be normal. It's not going to look normal or feel normal, but it's those steps back and taking care of the little things to get where you need to be, which is obviously football in the fall. And a lot of this is on the same page. Some of these dates are the same across college football in this NCAA proposal. If, you, if you're if you starting the season on Labor Day weekend, it, there's uniformity here. What is not uniform are testing protocols right now. Um, this is documented uh, by Marcelo in his story. Um, 24-7 Sports conducted a survey. You've got 51 of 65 schools in the Power 5 level have already started or scheduled their voluntary workouts. Um, Penn State players back on campus this week. But testing protocols vary wildly across college football. Um, you're looking at some that are, are only testing players showing symptoms 
of a virus, while you've got others that are requiring all players to participate in antibody tests and COVID-19 tests. Um, that's something that's going to have to be addressed because you, you go right into the season with non-conference, uh, you know, competition. Um, where are those protocols? Are they going to be matching up? Are you going to throw all these guys in the field together and line them up, uh, as they're coming in from a different set of circumstances and, and a different set of, uh, of, of, of monitor, monitoring, uh, for, uh, the coronavirus. Uh, that's all questions that are going to have to be answered. The commissioners are going to have to have those discussions. Um, but again, just quickly to go over some of the, the key things, you got voluntary workouts underway, started June 1st on, on several campuses. Uh, that's going through uh, June 25th. Mandatory workouts begin July 13th. That's 25 days before the first permissible preseason practice. Um, you got walkthroughs, the football involved, uh, meetings July 24th, which is a couple weeks before those preseason practice dates. Your hours start to go up for the allotment of weight training, uh, for walkthroughs, for meetings. And then uh, ideally, you, you, you go right in uh, full throttle football August 7th, uh, 20 hours per week preseason practices. And these coaches, they're going to earn their payday because uh, there are going to be a lot of skill sets that were eroded. There's going to be a lot of muscle memory that has been evaporated during the absence from campus and the absence of spring football. Um, and, and then we'll see. It's going to be uh, a race to get right by September. And I think really for a lot of programs, uh, particularly those those ones who kind of get to dodge a bullet in non-conference play. And that's not really Penn State this year because they got to go down uh, to face a, a pretty impressive Virginia Tech team on the road in what is uh, normally a very hostile environment. I don't know if there are going to be hostile environments in college football this year because of the circumstances. We'll learn more about that later. But you know, this isn't a year where Penn State can really skate through non-conference play. I don't know if you really can say that any year. Last year, they were taken down to the wire by Pitt at home. Uh, but you know they're not one of those teams that that can say, all right, let's just you know skate through, survive, get the conference play. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be right by the end of September uh, because that that week two matchup that that one looms large for the Nittany Lions. Plus, it's a road trip, and that's not something yeah. you're going to have to deal with. I mean, that's not something you're going to have a lot of data with in terms of you know there's there are teams that are going to travel in week zero and and week one, but still. To, to, for an operation of this magnitude to take its its players down there, that's uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, you know just sort of uh, case study. And that's another thing is y- there's so many little case studies in this situation where you're taking data and trying to learn from it and trying to put into play the best practices. And and really, you can't hit on everyone. I mean, you're not going to go 100 percent on what you do. So if you make a, a wrong turn here or there, that might end up costing you in the long run. So so many fascinating things at play here. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't envy the strength staff right now. Your strength staff better be on point because you're not only taking those guys back from uh, a different workout scenario, a couple months off campus, trying to get them back into shape, but you're doing it in a sense that you could only have a couple of players in the t- in the building or in the weight room at a time, and you're trying to you know maximize your time with those players. Then you're moving on to another group, and then you just kind of keep them separate, but try and keep them together in terms of uh, pacing. And then you're going to have uh, instances where you've got guys that are working out to together who are roommates and you know you you may have a, a defensive tackle with a cornerback as a roommate you know it's it, there, there's so many different things that go into it so your strength strength staff is going to be your uh, I guess first line of defense against uh, coming back sloppy so you better have those guys on point Penn State has a fantastic uh, strength staff that obviously led by Dwight Galt but there's a bunch of guys that have been around for a while that really know what they're doing so I think that they you know sort of uh, you know, there's a lot of good strength status out there but I think Penn State is right up there and, and can sort of help bridge that gap and and bust that curve if, if you're uh, looking to get back and not hit on all cylinders but look and and be as efficient as you can be when you get back. And before the strength staff can even take over the situation, how about the medical staff and, and, and what they're going to learn when these guys are back on campus and, and the process that's getting underway? I'm not talking about testing for virus here. I'm talking about gauging the, the progress that players who maybe underwent an offseason procedure in the winter at the start of uh, you know the conditioning program or, or who maybe got dinged up during the course uh, of the winter program. Where do they stand now? You know, they maybe they've been, uh, you know, getting uh, assistance and, and treatment from a, a local medical doctor back home. Is that are those reports going to mesh with what Penn State's uh, medical team sees from the situation? Uh, and, and how do they how do they move forward? And, and how do they decide 
who's ready to roll when when summer practice really gets going in these in these uh, you know mandatory uh, lifts and mandatory conditioning process get going. A lot of questions still to be answered, but the thing is, uh, at least we're in the phase where where there are questions you're you, you're going to get answers to because again, players are on campus. One thing you can't do here is wave a magic wand, Sean, and say everybody's on an even playing field because you know whether you think it was irresponsible or prudent. There are programs that have got underway ahead of time uh, compared to Penn State, whether it be a week. Um, and there's programs that got uh, got some spring work in, got spring ball, some at least some spring practice in uh, compared to none for for a program like Penn State. I don't think there's anything you can do at this stage to to try to reset things or, or give anybody an even playing field. So uh, everything's within your power, uh, you know, control the controllables, as coaches always like to say. And uh, you know, I think they're going to see a lot of different strategies adopted by by staffs across America. 51 of 65 schools in Power 5 have started or scheduled their voluntary workouts so far, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, Brandon Marcello, who, by the way, I think we're going to try and have on for the second ed- uh, edition of the of the uh, podcast this week. So hopefully that comes together. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, not everybody's on the level playing field. There's a lot of questions to be asked. There's also a lot of questions to be asked of us for the five-star mailbag. Nice job. That's a five-star segue right there. Um, we mentioned one earlier. Thank you for the question about the 2021 receivers. I hope we covered that. Um, an interesting one that I saw here that sort of goes along with that from J-Law 2311. Outside of QB, which has the largest talent gap uh, between Ohio State and Penn State? Of course, uh, you know, we've been saying it before. Ohio State's the standard for, for Penn State to look up to and the entire Big Ten to look up to. Um, that's been evident, uh, you know, th- throughout the playoff era. And how can Franklin narrow that gap in the upcoming recruiting cycles? Well, to me... Um, being at that game in Columbus last year, there were two two that st- uh, you know two positions that really jumped out. Obviously, quarterback uh, Justin Fields to, to Sean Clifford was notable. Of course, you didn't see Clifford for that whole game, but still, Fields was a playoff quarterback. He was a guy that uh, you know that, that got them where they needed to be. They didn't get to the national championship game, but still, I mean, he's uh, a Heisman favorite for a reason. So yes, you're right, uh, quarterbacks there. The, to me, uh, on the other end of that receiver was almost night and yep. day last year and that's and I don't think it's close. I think Penn State's close to Ohio State in certain positions on the field. I you know again they're they're trailing like everybody else in the Big 10. Um but uh wide receiver that's the biggest one and how can Franklin narrow that gap in updating uh, in the upcoming recruiting cycles? That's going to be tough. Ohio State is recruiting receiver at a level that really we haven't seen in the, uh, you know, Alabama's put together some great classes. Georgia's done some great things. Some other schools all, all across the country. USC has done a phenomenal job. But Ohio State's class last year was uh, as elite as you could possibly be. And they're following it up once again with uh, with an elite group this year. So it's, uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, Penn State, uh how can you narrow that gap? You make the playoff and you try and take a step up in that recruiting. And and honestly, it's it's not happening right now. And, you know, some of that is where Ohio State is. Some of that is Penn State's struggles at, at, at that position. And you need, like I said earlier, you need a guy to step up right away that's coming in, uh, you know, fresh, whether that be one of those redshirt freshmen, whether that be Keandre Lambert or Parker Washington. And then you need an established guy to uh, to take the next step and and to take a big step, frankly, to, to get where you need to be. Because because that when you take when you line up those rosters, uh, and and you used to see that when you did that uh, with uh, like NCA fourteen or something, you see the offensive rating, the defensive rating. If you did that with positions, Ohio State's would be at one end, Penn State's would, would be at the other. With when you're talking receivers, that's a big gap right there. How good was that 2020 wide receiver class for Ohio State? Well, th- you can say with a straight face, you can make a case that Julian Fleming might not be the best wide receiver of that group, which is pretty remarkable to be able to do for any one recruiting class to say, well, we might have an, another receiver that we also signed who could be better than Julian Fleming. Um, I, I think that is the position that stands out. Justin Fields did, did a, a tremendous job last year in Columbus, putting the ball where it needed to be. But you could see he had plenty of trust in his wide receivers to go up and win battles for the football. That was not routinely the case for Penn State, really outside of Pat Fryermuth, and that wasn't necessarily the kind of receiver that K.J. Hamler uh, was in terms of, of, of putting the ball up there and having him go up and grab it. So uh, Ohio State has a bunch of those guys. that They've they've got more to, to kind of uh, develop here as freshmen, and 
Yeah, it it it's all about recruiting. Uh, beating Ohio State would would certainly help in on the recruiting trail. Um, but you know, I think yeah, it, it, there's certainly more sting to it when you talk about Justin Fields, Julian Fleming. Uh, that right there should show you just about how close James Franklin is to to being where he needs to be, but uh, also glaringly how he has fallen short. And, and, you know, pushing the envelope with Ohio State because those guys are wearing Buckeyes uniforms and they'll be coming to town as as visiting opponents this year. And and Ohio State's, let's be honest, Ohio State's hit on its big guys. Uh, Penn State has really not. I mean, Hamler it was a, a breath of fresh air. He was fantastic. And, and we could go back to Godwin and, and Hamilton. But, I mean, you've got Justin Shorter, one of the uh, I think the nation's top receiver in his class, and he's at Florida now and really hasn't happened for Penn State. So uh, a lack of continuity, as we mentioned earlier, with the, with the coaching staff, a lack of production. You can point to a lot of things, but uh, you know Ohio State has outproduced, uh, consistently outproduced Penn State uh, in terms of making those plays. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you've got you've got numbers that can you can put out there and be similar, but if you watch that game last year, I mean, uh, Alave has been that guy that has made those plays, and he you know, wasn't a big-time recruit for them. So they've done a nice job not only recruiting but also developing. And then when you take care of that development, that recruitment sort of comes along. I think that's what we're waiting for with with, uh, with Taylor Stubblefield in an ideal situation. When that take, you know, that That's sort of something that takes care of itself eventually. And now they're recruiting two more guys in the top 100 in the 2021 class. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., who I, you know, I, I like. I'm not the biggest fan of Marvin Harrison Jr., but Jaden Ballard from, uh, from Maslin is a pretty good player as well. So um, they've got, uh, they continue to go. It's not the level that it was in, in 2020, but they continue to recruit at a high level, uh, getting some of their early offer guys in 2021. And, you know, it's going to continue in 2022. It's a national program. It doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. And they just continue to stockpile that momentum. The passing game continues to be in focus for Penn State, and it certainly seems to be at the forefront of the difference between those two programs right now, uh, set to meet in October in Happy Valley this upcoming season. Let's go with one more for today's mailbag, Sean, um, from Lion in WV. He says, hey, I'm from West Virginia. I was excited to see Brenton Strange commit from Parkersburg High School. Any word on his winter progress before COVID, uh, projections for his redshirt sophomore season? And looking back, Sean, I think it's easy to forget, Brenton Strange reached the end zone in his first career game against Idaho uh, last year. Beyond that, relegated to redshirt status, but certainly a guy that we've discussed pushing for that primary backup role behind Pat Fryermuth as he continues to physically progress. I think it's what one catch, one touchdown. So that's a pretty good start nice for, yep. for for Brenton Strange. Yeah, he's uh, his redshirt year was big. I mean, this is a guy that came in uh, two hundred and fifteen ish pounds and and really put on that weight. He's getting up to near two fifty, you know, two forty five, two fifty. So the weight has come probably er- uh, earlier and easier than they would have expected. So that's uh, that's been a nice. Uh, adjustment period for him especially when he's going against Zach Koontz who the weight you know has never come really easy for Zach Koontz so obviously nobody's unseating Fryermuth. you're not really looking to get that but Strange does some things that you can work with this passing game and we talk about uh, Kirk Shiraka using those big receivers at Minnesota I mean and I think Strange kind of fits that bill he's not obviously going to go out and be uh, Rashad Bateman or anything like that but he's used big guys in the slot he's used guys around that can run those those slants and and sort of make space for themselves with them with their size and I think Brenton Strange fits into that. I think I think there's a lot about what Brenton Strange or how Brenton Strange plays that fits into this offense so I'm excited to see him um, obviously he's going to jockey this was one of the the battles that we were looking forward to the most in spring is jockeying for that number two job especially since Friar would have probably taken it easy um, on the veteran plan so you've got Kuntz you've got Strange you've got a, a, a you know obviously puns in the making there um, but you've got an opportunity to see two talented kids uh, jockey for position and I think Strange really would have um, given him a, a run for it and I think I think we will see him on the field this year I mean just t- from talking to people around the program they're excited about his growth they're excited about his mentality and the and the way that he's approached things um, still some work to do in terms of becoming an all-around tight end but if you're playing him you're probably playing Fryermuth at the same time so you're moving that second guy around um, you can play him on the wing you can split him out in the slot he's obviously a guy that's played receiver during his uh during his football career so i'm really intrigued by brenton strange i'm really high on brenton strange if you can't tell um but he can use that size and and be a bigger receiver and if your other receivers aren't producing then you got a chance to uh to move those guys uh strange and Koontz included you can move those guys around and 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 try and work with them 
based on what we know uh, about this situation, about Brenton Strange, I, I would place a bet that he'll be the, the second most productive tight end in this offense in 2020. Um, I think to Theo Johnson, the sky is the limit. I am incredibly intrigued by Zach Koontz, as I have been since you know his junior year of high school when, when he really came onto the national radar. Um, but I think you got to, you know, how productive could that be? Does he, is it something that looks like Nick Bauer's numbers from last year, which was, you know, a pretty solid number, reached the end zone a few times, um, came with some big catches over the course of the season. I, I think Brenton Strange is a more uh, a dynamic athlete in, in some ways uh, as a receiver. And, and, and I, you know, I, I'm curious about that 10 catches last year for Bowers. I just went to look it up 214 yards three touchdowns, maybe something like that, If uh, assuming Pat Frymuth is healthy uh, along the way. I, I know Pat takes a lot of pride in this tight end room. He wants to leave it in good shape when he moves on to the NFL. Uh, he's been meeting with Brenton Strange separately away from the group on a weekly basis throughout uh, the coronavirus shutdown. I think you know it says a lot about those two uh, you know, connecting uh, and, and also what Frymuth sees in Strange. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason to, 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 to be excited for Brenton Strange's future, and and I do think uh, if we continue to see uh, those two tight end sets, um, I think we're going to see quite a bit of him, uh, number 86 here in, in 2020. Um, it's a nice room, uh, and, and it gets better. And, and Tyler Warren, by the way, uh, you've got a story up. I think it was from last Friday, so I don't know if we addressed it on the podcast. But good stuff on Tyler Warren, another tight end to know. Uh, a guy who I think it, it kind of went under the radar for a lot of uh, Nittany Lions fans because of the excitement about Theo Johnson coming on board at tight end. Um, another name there in the tight end room long term that, that you should get familiar with. And Sean did a good job breaking things down uh, from their conversation on Lions247.com. Hey, thanks. Uh, yeah, d- d- definitely check it out. Check out his basketball highlights as well. Uh, we've got uh, workout highlights from Christian Veyu up on the site today, so check that out as well. Um, but yeah, that should be about do- uh, should about do it. Um, you know, for Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24/7 podcast. Remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, rate, review, leave your your questions. We'll get to the five star mailbag pretty much every episode. We appreciate you uh, generating the content for us, and hopefully we can return in kind. But uh, thanks for following along. Check us out on lines247.com and and thanks for listening.